Chapters One and Two of A House of Gentlefolk. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tavarish. A House of Gentlefolk by Ivan Turgenev. Translated by Constance Garnett. Chapter One A bright spring day was fading into evening. High overhead, in the clear heavens, small rosy clouds seemed hardly to move across the sky, but to be sinking into its depths of blue. In a handsome house, in one of the outlying streets of the government town of O, it was in the year 1842, two women were sitting at an open window. One was about fifty, the other an old lady of seventy. The name of the former was Maria Dmitrievna Klitin. Her husband, a shrewd, determined man of obstinate, bilious temperament, had been dead for ten years. He had been a provincial public prosecutor, noted in his own day as a successful man of business. He had received a fair education and had been to the university, but having been born in narrow circumstances, he realized early in life the necessity of pushing his own way in the world and making money. It had been a love match on Maria Dmitrievna's side. He was not bad-looking, was clever, and could be very agreeable when he chose. Maria Dmitrievna Pestov, that was her maiden name, had lost her parents in childhood. She spent some years in a boarding-school in Moscow, and after leaving school lived on the family estate of Pokrovskaya, about forty miles from O, with her aunt and her elder brother. This brother soon after obtained a post in Petersburg, and made them a scanty allowance. He treated his aunt and sister very shabbily, till his sudden death cut short his career. Maria Dmitrievna inherited Pokrovskaya, but she did not live there long. Two years after her marriage with Kalitin, who succeeded in winning her heart in a few days, Pokrovskaya was exchanged for another estate, which yielded a much larger income, but was utterly unattractive, and had no house. At the same time Kalitin took a house in the town of O, in which he and his wife took up their permanent abode. There was a large garden round the house, which on one side looked out upon the open country away from the town. And so, decided Kalitin, who had a great distaste for the quiet of country life, there would be no need for them to be dragging themselves off into the country. In her heart, Maria Dmitrievna more than once regretted her pretty Pokrovskaya, with its babbling brook, its wide meadows, and green copses, but she never opposed her husband in anything, and had the greatest veneration for his wisdom and knowledge of the world. When, after fifteen years of married life, he died, leaving her with a son and two daughters, Maria Dmitrievna had grown so accustomed to her house and to town life that she had no inclination to live Oh, In her youth, Maria Dmitrievna had always been spoken of as a pretty blonde, and at fifty her features had not lost all charm, though they were somewhat coarser and less delicate in outline. 
she was more sentimental than kind-hearted and even at her mature age she retained the manners of the boarding-school she was self-indulgent and easily put out even moved to tears when she was crossed in any of her habits she was however very sweet and agreeable when all her wishes were carried out and none opposed her her house was among the pleasantest in the town she had a considerable fortune not so much from her own property as from her husband's savings her two daughters were living with her her son was being educated in one of the best government schools in petersburg the old lady sitting with maria dmitrievna at the window was her father's sister the same aunt with whom she had once spent some solitary years in pokrovskaya her name was marfa timofyevna pestov she had a reputation for eccentricity as she was a woman of an independent character told every one the truth to his face and even in the most straitened circumstances behaved just as if she had a fortune at her disposal she could not endure kalitin and directly her niece married him she removed to her little property where for ten whole years she lived in a smoky peasant's hut maria dmitrievna was a little afraid of her a little sharp-nosed woman with black hair and keen eyes even in her old age marfa timofyevna walked briskly held herself upright and spoke quickly and clearly in a sharp ringing voice she always wore a white cap and a white dressing jacket what's the matter with you she asked maria dmitrievna suddenly what are you sighing about pray nothing answered the latter what exquisite clouds you feel sorry for them eh maria dmitrievna made no reply why is it gedeonovsky does not come observed marfa timofyevna moving her knitting needles quickly she was knitting a large woolen scarf he would have sighed with you or at least he'd have had some fib to tell you how hard you always are on him sergey petrovitch is a worthy man worthy repeated the old lady scornfully and how devoted he was to my poor husband observed maria dmitrievna even now he cannot speak of him without emotion and no wonder it was he who picked him out of the gutter muttered maria timofyevna and her knitting needles moved faster than ever he looks so meek and mild she began again with his grey head but he no sooner opens his mouth than out comes a lie or a slander and to think of his having the rank of a councillor to be sure though he's only a village priest's son every one has faults auntie that is his weak point no doubt sergey petrovitch has had no education of course he does not speak french still say what you like he is an agreeable man yes he is always ready to kiss your hands he does not speak french that's no great loss i'm not over strong in the french lingo myself it would be better if he could not speak at all he would not tell lies then but here he is speak of the devil added marfa timofyevna looking into the street 
here comes your agreeable man striding along what a lanky creature he is just like a stork maria dmitrievna began to arrange her curls marfa timofevna looked at her ironically what's that not a grey hair surely you must speak to your palashka what can she be thinking about really auntie you are always so muttered maria dmitrievna in a tone of vexation drumming on the arm of her chair with her fingertips sergey petrovitch gedeonovsky was announced in a shrill piping voice by a rosy-cheeked little page who made his appearance at the door chapter two a tall man entered wearing a tidy overcoat rather short trousers grey doeskin gloves and two neckties a black one outside and a white one below it there was an air of decorum and propriety in everything about him from his prosperous countenance and smoothly brushed hair to his low-heeled noiseless boots he bowed first to the lady of the house then to marfa timofevna and slowly drawing off his gloves he advanced to take maria dmitrievna's hand after kissing it respectfully twice he seated himself with deliberation in an armchair and rubbing the very tips of his fingers together he observed with a smile and is elizaveta mihalovna quite well yes replied maria dmitrievna she is in the garden and yelena mihalovna lenotchka's in the garden too is there no news there is indeed replied the visitor slowly blinking his eyes and pursing up his mouth hm yes indeed there is a piece of news and very surprising news too lavretsky fedor ivanch is here fedor cried marfa timofevna are you sure you're not romancing my good man no indeed i saw him myself well that does not prove it fedor ivanch looked much more robust continued gedeonovsky affecting not to have heard marfa timofevna's last remark fedor ivanch is broader and has quite a colour he looked more robust said maria dmitrievna dwelling on each syllable i should have thought he had little enough to make him look robust yes indeed observed gedeonovsky any other man in fedor ivanitch's position would have hesitated to appear in society why so pray interposed marfa timofevna what nonsense are you talking the man's come back to his home where would you have him go and has he been to blame i should like to know the husband is always to blame madam i venture to assure you when a wife misconducts herself you say that my good sir because you have never been married yourself gedeonovsky listened with a forced smile if i may be so inquisitive he asked after a short pause for whom is that pretty scarf intended marfa timofevna gave him a sharp look it's intended she replied for a man who does not talk scandal nor play the hypocrite nor tell lies if there's such a man to be found in the world i know fedya well 
he was only to blame in being too good to his wife. To be sure, he married for love, and no good ever comes of those love matches, added the old lady with a sidelong glance at Maria Dmitrievna as she got up from her place. And now, my good sir, you may attack anyone you like, even me, if you choose. I am going. I will not hinder you. And Marfa Timofevna walked away. That's always how she is, said Maria Dmitrievna, following her aunt with her eyes. We must remember your aunt's age. There's no help for it, replied Gideonovsky. She spoke of a man not playing the hypocrite. But who is not hypocritical nowadays? It's the age we live in. One of my friends, a most worthy man, and, I assure you, a man of no mean position, used to say that nowadays the very hands can't pick up a grain of corn without hypocrisy. They always approach it from one side. But when I look at you, dear lady, your character is so truly angelic. Let me kiss your little snow-white hand. Maria Dmitrievna, with a faint smile, held out her plump hand to him, with a little finger held apart from the rest. He pressed his lips to it, and she drew her chair nearer to him, and, bending a little towards him, asked in an undertone, So you saw him? Was he really all right, quite well and cheerful? Yes. He was well and cheerful, replied Gideonovsky in a whisper. You haven't heard where his wife is now? She was lately in Paris. Now, they say, she has gone away to Italy. It is terrible indeed, Fedya's position. I wonder how he can bear it. Everyone, of course, has trouble, but he, one may say, has been made the talk of all Europe. Gideonovsky sighed. Yes, indeed, yes, indeed. They do say, you know, that she associates with artists and musicians, and, as the saying is, with strange creatures of all kinds. She has lost all sense of shame completely. I am deeply, deeply grieved, said Maria Dmitrievna, on account of our relationship. You know, Sergei Petrovitch, He's my cousin, many times removed. Of course, of course. Don't I know everything that concerns your family? I should hope so, indeed. Will he come to see us? What do you think? One would suppose so, though they say he is intending to go home to his country place. Maria Dmitrievna lifted her eyes to heaven. Ah, Sergei Petrovitch, Sergei Petrovitch, when I think how careful we women ought to be in our conduct. There are women and women, Maria Dmitrievna. There are unhappily such, of flighty character, and at a certain age too, and then they are not brought up in good principles. Sergei Petrovitch drew a blue-checked handkerchief out of his pocket and began to unfold it. There are such women, no doubt. Sergei Petrovitch applied a corner of the handkerchief first to one and then to the other eye. But, speaking generally, if one takes into consideration, I mean, the dust in the town is really extraordinary today, he wound up. 
Mama, mama, cried the pretty little girl of eleven running into the room. Vladimir Nikolaitch is coming on horseback. Maria Dmitrievna got up. Sergei Petrovitch also rose and made a bow. Our humble respects to Elena Mikhailovna, he said, and turning aside into a corner for good manners, he began blowing his long straight nose. What a splendid horse he has, continued the little girl. He was at the gate just now. He told Lisa and me he would dismount at the steps. The sound of hoofs was heard, and a graceful young man, riding a beautiful bay horse, was seen in the street and stopped at the open window. End of chapters 1 and 2